And turn with me to Jude, verse 17. We are quickly coming to the end of this book that I thought would be three sermons, and it's turned into, I think this is the ninth one today. So in order to have a good even number, we'll finish it next week with the last two verses. I thought we'd finish it today, but things happen like that. So we'll finish it next week with these last two verses, because I really do want to get that benediction in. I do want to do that by itself, because there's so much great truth in that, that that Jude shares. And I just felt it would not be doing it justice to have included in verses 17 through 23. So that's what we'll be looking at today. As we've looked at this book, we have seen Jude warning from the very beginning. He has said, listen, I wanted to write you a letter about the greatness of our salvation that common salvation that we all share together. I, I really wanted to write you about that and talk about our common salvation. But I felt it necessary to write you and warn you and appeal to you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. Jude says, I, I, I really wanted to... To be able to say to you, listen, this is what Christ has done and this is what we share together. And he does do that a little bit as he moves through this, but, but he wanted his whole letter to be that. But he said, no, there's some things happening. There's some things happening in the church that, that I feel like you need to be warned about and, and I don't want you just to be warned about it so you go hide from it or go, go, go let it slide and not do anything about it. I'm writing you this so that I can plead with you to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. He's not writing just to preachers here. He's not writing just to professors here. He's writing to everyone who claims the name of Christ. And he's saying, listen, it is your responsibility, it is your purpose as a believer to contend for these great truths, to contend for the, to, for the lordship of Christ, to contend for the sovereignty of God, to contend for the glorious body of Christ. It's, it's your responsibility to contend for these things in a loving sort of way. As a matter of fact, in some ways, these verses we come to today are maybe the most important in the whole book, not because the others aren't important, but simply because in verses 17 through 23, now Jude begins to talk to us about how we ought to do this, how we ought to contend, how we ought to react or respond to those who are uh, causing division, to those who are false teachers, to those who are living ungodly lives. And if you recall, we, we, we said ungodliness is living a life that is living as though God is not or as though God doesn't matter. It's ungodliness will lead to unrighteousness, which are, are deeds of sin, but ungodliness in itself is that attitude, it's that lifestyle that simply says God doesn't matter. I will live my life autonomously. I will live my life like I want to live it. I don't care what God says about it. I don't care what God says I should or should not do in this life. I'm going to live my life autonomously any way I want to. And we'll let the chips fall where they may. That's ungodly living. That's not pursuing his presence. That's not, as we sang about this morning, that's not pursuing his will and, and, and the knowledge of him. And, and the scripture says, listen, you, you ought to live, if you're a believer particularly, you must live a godly life. You must pursue him. You must live as though he matters. If you really are a believer, unbelievers naturally live ungodly lives. 
unbelievers naturally don't pursue what his will is. They go on their own way. And it's something that goes all the way back to the very beginning. I mean, this type of attitude that Jude is talking about is not something that just started to happen in the church there that he's writing to. Or, or any church in his day or in our day. It's not some kind of new idea. It goes all the way back to the garden. When Adam and Eve were commanded to live in line with God's truth, and Satan comes along and says, listen, you know, you don't have to do that. You can live your own life. You can, you can even be like God. You can be autonomous to the, to the nth degree, and you can live any way you desire. And, and, and that's what Satan tells us today. And I think that's a lot of what the problem is that Jude is dealing with here that we'll look at this morning. But here are the verses. Here, verses 17 through 23 from Jude's epistle. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. That they were saying to you, in the last days, in the last time, there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lust. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And have mercy on some who are doubting. And save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. This is God's word. What is he saying to Grace Baptist Church this morning through Jude in this little epistle? Well, obviously he starts out with that idea of remembering again. Several weeks ago we talked about the importance of remembering. The importance of remembering all that God has done, both in biblical history and our own personal history. It's important to remember what God has accomplished in our lives since our, our time of coming to Christ. It's important to see all the providential care that God has given to us through this time. It's important to remember back difficult times that we thought were just absolutely disastrous and God brought us through them. It's important to remember back times when we were the strongest in our faith and walking in, in the power of Christ and remember that that was not in our own strength. It was in the strength of the Holy Spirit, strength of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we were able to stand firm and stand true. And now he's saying, I want you to remember what the apostles have told us. I had Ricky read this morning the passage out of Acts chapter 2, talking about the early church. And there the early church says, or Luke tells us, that the early church was continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were, they were continuously, and the idea there is that they, just, they couldn't get enough of it. They were having fellowship, and they were breaking bread in the Lord's Supper, and they were worshiping together, and they were praying together. But the, the, the overall arching thing that they did was they could not learn enough about what the apostles had to say about life and about God and about Christ. They were, they were letting the apostles' teaching formulate their life and shape their lives in every respect. And so Jude here says, I want you to remember, remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles. Now I think that carries with it a general statement. Remember what the apostles taught. 
You remember the apostles were those who followed Christ and were called specifically by Christ. And after Christ's death, burial, and resurrection and ascension back into heaven, they began to flesh out all the teachings about Christ, all the truth about Christ, who he was. The Holy Spirit, Jesus told them, would bring to their memory the important things and and they would share those and they would teach those to the church. And so generally he's saying here, everything the apostles taught you, remember that. But then he gives a very specific thing he wants you to remember the apostles said, and that is, I want you to remember that they have said to you, in the last days there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lust. It's the same kind of statement he makes back in verse 4 when he says certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Paul warned about that. In young, to write in young Timothy, in, in 2 Timothy, he told him, he said, listen, they're, they're, in the last days there's going to be mockers, they are going to be haters of God, they are going to be lovers of self, there are going to be those who follow after their own desires, their own lusts, and do not seek the things of God. They're going to rise up and seek to lead astray the, the people of God, the, the church, the children of God. Paul said, that's going to happen. Mark it down, believe it, it's coming. Peter did the same thing in 2 Peter, which bears a great similarity to Jude. 2 Peter, Paul, Peter said, listen, there are going to come people who are going to come and try to deceive you and distort the teachings of Christ and distort the apostles' doctrine, and, and, and they're going to do it for gain. They're going to do it for monetary reasons. They're going to do it to gain an advantage over you. Don't let that happen. Watch for them. Be aware. Be, be, be discerning in what you listen to, what you read, what you, uh, what you follow after. It's very important, Paul says. It's very important, Peter says, that we pay close attention to what the apostles have taught us. But Jude says, and Paul said, and Peter said, they're going to be scoffers. They're going to be mockers who are going to arise, and, and their whole thing is following after their own ungodly lust. And we talked about lust there last week a little bit. Lust doesn't necessarily mean what we immediately think of when we think of lust. That can, and that is many times a part of, of what you find with ungodliness. There is that, there's that distortion of God's plan for the body and uh, God's plan for marriage and, and, and pursuing own lust that lead astray I mean, it's always there but but the idea here is more just their own desires what they want more than anything else is not driven by a godly pursuit but it's driven by ungodliness by living as though god does not exist they're mockers what, what do you think they're mocking what do you think it is that these people are mocking i mean these are people that are, are within the church We'll ask the question in a minute whether they're believers or not. But they have entered in, Jude says, unnoticed, quietly, stealthily, deceitfully. They've entered in very quietly and taken their place among the body. And then they start teaching and then they start having ideas. And and, and all of a sudden, they're in a position of leadership. And, and, And Jude says, you've got to watch out for those. Listen, we live in a day where it's almost the heresy of the hour, not even the heresy of the day. 
you know you you turn on your television you pick up many books and christian bookstores and i've told you before many times a christian bookstore is the the most dangerous place for your spiritual life that you'll ever find because things that are put there not because they are doctrinally sound not because they are scripturally pure they're put there because they make money you know and, and so they'll sell just about anything that claims to be of god and claims to have some kind of little spiritual emphasis. You have to be very, very discerning. They rise in. You, you, you say, well, why would they do that? Why would they not? Why would a person take the time to write a book that, that's not, and, and claim to be a Christian book, and not be in light with Scripture? Again, many times for the money. Listen, some people discover there's money in Christianity. There, there's, there's wealth to be had in Christianity. You don't think so? Then just... Uh, Go visit some of these people that have the, the massive audiences on television and, and go into their homes or, or look at their homes, even from the outside. You know, there, there's some good money going on there. The problem is, a lot of times, in order, in order to really make money in Christianity in America today, you can't be an Orthodox preacher. You, you can't just really preach what the Scripture says. That's, that's kind of boring to most people. You got to give some little tweak, some little twist. Be it, be it health and wealth gospel. You know, if you if you just follow five steps, God will make you healthy and wealthy, and and you'll have everything you ever desired. And God will just pour out all this money and stuff on you if you'll just if you'll just follow these five little simple steps. They're not in the scripture, but hey, some people follow them. Some people have gotten rich, so let's let's tout it, and it is touted as such. But it's always a distortion. It's always a twisting some spiritual truth I mean there's clearly enough teaching in scripture to say that God wants you to be prosperous no doubt about that I, I don't deny that for a moment the only problem is we sometimes need to determine what that prosperity is there and realize that that prosperity is a spiritual prosperity a spreading out of our, our influence for the gospel and for the, for the Lord Jesus Christ that's much more important than just what we have and it's usually twisted to mean, well, God wants you to be prosperous, so he wants you to, he wants you to succeed in everything you do. He wants you to have bukoodles of money. That's a technical term. But he wants you to have a, a lot of money and a lot of stuff. And he just wants you to be happy. He just wants you to be happy. I can't resist. Robert Parker called me this past week, and he said, have you seen ABC News' website? And I said, no. And he said, well, go to ABC News' website. They've got an interview and a a video and an article that uh, Robin Roberts, or whatever her name is, did with Joel Osteen. And so I couldn't resist. I went to it, and, I, and, and he's written a new book. Uh, it's called uh, Every Day a Friday. That came right out of Scripture. I'm not exactly sure where, but I'm, I'm, I hadn't found it yet, but I'm sure it did. But, you know, the purpose is, when are we most happiest? We're, we're most happiest when we get to the afternoon on Friday, the, the final doors are closed on job, and we've got two days of, of recreation and just relaxing. And so Friday is just a great day because we really feel good on Friday. Well, he's saying God wants every day to be a Friday. Now, there may be, a, well, I don't, I don't even know if there's a kernel of truth in that, but I mean, God does want us walking with him and pursuing him. But as I've said over and over and over again, and Judas saying, and Paul has said, and Peter has said, and Jesus has said, God is really more concerned about your holiness than he is your happiness. It really is. 
He's more concerned about your pursuing him and knowing him than he is following after some false teacher who offers you just a giddy time, day in and day out. And that's what Jude is warning against. He's saying, listen, listen to what the apostles have said and realize there are going to be people who are mocking and scoffing and generally what they're going to mock at and scoff at usually centers around the lordship of Christ and the sovereignty of God. Generally they're scoffing and they're mocking will center around the fact that, that, that they do not want Jesus to be Lord of their life. They, they would love to have a little fire insurance. They'd love, to have, they'd love to have heaven when they die as long as he doesn't carry with all this baggage of the lordship of Christ. Because I want to be my own Lord. I want to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it, and as much as I want to do it. I don't want, I don't want Christ interfering with what I want. And the sovereignty of God. They mock at the sovereignty of God. We have today people mock, even within the church, people mock at God's absolute sovereignty. They say, oh, no, 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 no. No, God has limited his sovereignty. God has chosen not to be sovereign. God has said, oh, I'm just going to back off and let things go, and you make all the decisions, and you do whatever you want to do. And that's a, that is a mocking of God's sovereignty, and it is not truth. It's a lie that started back in the garden when Satan said, oh, if you'll just disobey God, you can be like him. You can know good and evil. You can have this knowledge that is the same knowledge that God possesses. And, and, and so, so they mock him by saying, oh, God's not really totally sovereign. God's just kind of somewhat sovereign. Well, folks, if God is not totally sovereign, God is not God. God's not totally sovereign. God does not, God is not anything like what the scripture says he is. But these scoffers say, oh, the lordship of Christ, oh, the sovereignty of God, those are not necessary. And so they come in and they cause divisions. Now, they cause divisions because they're worldly minded, devoid of the spirit. These are people who come in scoffing at God, who, who I believe are not believers. Not talking about someone who just kind of has trusted Christ, but they're still struggling with the worldly mindedness, you know, and their mind is still, and there's a lot of that, that's a problem to, to, to be sure. But the real key to this verse about these false teachers that have come in unnoticed and, and stealth their way into the congregation is that they are not only worldly minded, they're, they're not only causing divisions, but they are devoid of the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. They're operating in their own flesh. They're operating in their own ungodliness. There's no spiritual leadership in their life by the Holy Spirit. There is no acknowledgement of the lordship of Christ and the sovereignty of God. And so they do cause divisions because they start scoffing at things that they don't understand, that they don't know. You know, they're just following after their own thinking, their own ungodly lust. And he says, listen, beloved. I love the way he uses the word beloved. There's, there's a pastoral heart here. There's a, there's a desire that Jude has for this church to which he's writing that, that they would understand 
this because he loves them dearly? Beloved, my friends, brothers and sisters, beloved in Christ? I want you to build yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. What in the world does he mean build yourself up? Does that mean like you, you go to the gym and you start building yourself up by lifting weights and, and running and walking and doing all those things I do every day? Is, is that what he means by is that what he means by build yourself up? Well, in a sense it is. But it's not running and walking and lifting weights and doing cardio. It's it's build yourself up in your holy faith. Your mo on, on your most holy faith faith that faith there is is i think the faith that is once for all delivered to the saints he's talking about he's talking about spiritual growth he's talking about building yourself up in in prayer he even talks about praying in the holy spirit in 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 building yourself up in remembering what the apostles have taught and and focusing on what the, the apostles have taught and, and being reminded of what the apostles have said about your life and your spiritual growth and your walking in him it does mean some spiritual exercise on a consistent daily basis it, it does mean walking as he would call you to walk praying in the Holy Spirit the, the idea there could be praying with the Spirit praying by the Spirit praying in the Spirit it, it's all uh, legitimate translations of that but but what he's saying here basically is that the Holy Spirit directs our prayers when we're praying aright remember the Apostle Paul said to the Romans in Romans 8 that sometimes we don't even know how to pray and the Holy Spirit intercedes for us that that when we are when when we are at our at a loss as to what to ask God the Holy Spirit is our intercessor he is the one that works in us to give us the understanding of what it is we need And praying in the Spirit also, I think, means that we're praying, seeking to know what His purpose is in our life. Holy Spirit, direct my thoughts, direct my praying. Help me, O Lord, to be built up. In verse 21, he says, Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. If you're a Christian, you already know something of the mercy of Christ. We, we believe as, as, as Christians, we believe as Baptists that we, have been, that, that we have been born again into newness of life and that we are secure in that newness of life. We know that. But he says here, also look to the future. Look to the future. You know, keep yourselves in the love of God and wait anxiously, desire anxiously that ultimate mercy of Christ which will translate into eternal life. Uh, you know, it's the old, we have been saved, we are being saved, we one day will be saved idea. And here Jude is saying, look to the future. You will be saved from the absolute presence of sin in eternal life and live like that's coming. Trust in that. Believe in that. Walk in that. That's how you keep yourselves in the love of God, by focusing on that love, by focusing on what he has said. You know, John, in his little epistles, talked numerously about what it means to love God. If you love God, you keep his commandments. If you love God, you love the brethren. You'll, you'll love the body. 
If you love God, you desire to please Him. You desire to honor Him. You desire to reflect Him. I mean, all those things are keeping yourself in the love of God. And as we focus on God's love and it penetrates our life, we naturally reflect that. Even as Jude is doing here when he says, Beloved. But in those last two verses, he gives us the, the key. To the, he, he tells us how to react. And there's three things there in those two verses. He says, one, have mercy on some who are doubting. What is the natural response out of our natural human nature to a doubter? It's to usually say, oh, I don't want to be around that person. They're doubting the love of God. They're doubting, they're doubting the sufficiency of Christ. They're doubting their salvation. They're doubting the reality of God's word. They're doubting, they're doubting, they're doubting. And typically our, our natural response is just to kind of put our hands up and say, whoa, I, I'm going to separate myself from this person. They're in, they're in deep trouble, and I don't want them dragging me into that deep trouble with them. Jude says, no, no, have mercy on those who are doubting. Have mercy on those who are struggling in their Christian life. Come alongside of them. Put your arm around them as a brother or sister in Christ and say, listen, let me walk with you through this. Let me walk, th walk th through you, with you through this and in this. I'm, I'm not going to shun you and turn you away. I just want to be there with you. Yeah, that's a lot of what we're talking about tonight in the Grace Family Summit. We're going to be talking about how we, how we encourage one another. Even some who within here may be doubting and struggling in their, in their family life, in their personal life or whatever. We're going to talk about how we can, we can encourage them and strengthen them and out of our experience share what God has done in our life in order to help them walk more clearly in Christ. I mean, that's a part of the purpose of it. And Jude says those who are doubting show them mercy. Don't shun them. Don't run from them. Help them walk through it. Now, that, that in, implies that you've got to have some knowledge about, about truth. That's why I entitled the sermon, Keep Your Focus on the Truth. Keep your focus on the truth, on Christ and His truth. But first, those who are doubting, show them some mercy. Maybe if you're right in the 20th century, you might say, cut them some slack. Help them. Don't turn away from them. And he says, others, save others. Now, we know we can't save anybody. Only Christ can save someone. But, but when he uses save others here, he's talking about being so involved in their lives that Christ's work and Christ's spirit and, and Christ's truth flows through us and, and, and works in their life. And in that way, we are instruments of God in literally snatching them out of the fire, out of hell. We can't snatch anybody out. He does that. But he uses us. I mean, we've talked about it over and over again, how salvation is of the Lord. How many times does Scripture say that? And how many different ways does Scripture say that? But we also know that the salvation that the Lord uses, most of the time, there may be exceptions, but most of the time, I would say the vast majority of the time, he uses you and me. To be the tools by which he snatches them out of the fire. So he's simply saying here, save others, care about others. God may use you to minister them in such a way that they see their falsehood, they see their lies, and they are snatched from the fire. And then thirdly, he says, 
On some have mercy with fear. That's an interesting phrase. On some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. I think he's saying there's some that are so caught up in ungodliness and worldliness and, and themselves, and they are so proud of it and they're so entrenched in it that, that there's a danger as you minister to them, but you have to minister to them. But you do it with fear. You do it with your eyes focused on Christ and, and, and a, a, a holy fear. Lord, I fear you, and I fear that I might fall this way. I'm depending on you, Lord, to keep this hand strongly held as I reach out to these because I want to show them mercy. I want to show them love. But they, they seem to be so far gone. I'm scared to even step toward them. But Jude says you must. You must. That's why we're together as a covenant family. That's why we're together as a people of God. That's why we're together as, a, as an evangelistic entity and as a missions entity and as a fellowship entity, as an as a equipping entity, as, a, as a, a unifying entity. That's why we're here. Is to point others to Christ. Doubters, scoffers, and those who are absolutely out of it spiritually. Each time he says, show mercy. Show mercy. Show mercy. Show mercy on those. Because they are what they are in their natural state and they need the Lord Jesus Christ. Judah saying, listen, keep your focus on the truth. Keep your focus on who he is. Keep your focus on walking with him and being used by him to show mercy on other people, to minister to other people, to care about other people, even though their garments may be polluted. And the garment polluted by the flesh is, is not talking about an external garment that may be dirty, that can be taken off. It's talking about the garment of the flesh. We talk about when we are in Christ, we are clothed in what? His righteousness. It's a white garment. It's a clean garment. But those who are out of, outside of Christ are, are walking around in the garment of the flesh. And the garment of the flesh is filthy rags. The prophet says, we are to show mercy. I don't know about you, but I have a hard time with that. You know, my, my own self, natural self, just wants to say, well, you ought to know better. You've been around the church. You know what's going on. You ought to know better than that. You ought to know better than causing division. You ought to know better than scoffing at the things of God that are in his word without ever really searching it out. You ought to know better than just following after your own ungodly lust. My, my, mercy, my mercy level is low sometimes with people like this. And that's sin on my behalf.
That's sin on my part. Because our command, our commission from our Lord and Sovereign Jesus Christ, our Lord and King, Sovereign King, is to look, show mercy. Show mercy in the same way that I've shown mercy to you. Forgive in the same way that I've forgiven you. Show mercy. It's really not an option. It's really not something we can choose and pick and say, I'll show mercy on them because they're not so bad. and I won't show mercy on them because they just really get on my nerves. And I won't show mercy to them because I just don't like them. They're not like me. Jude says, show mercy. Show mercy even about those who would speak ill against you. Show mercy even to those who would lie about you. Show mercy. So while he warns us, while he tells us all about them and the errors they pursue after and the false ways they go, he comes back and says, okay, but now you, you, you discern about that. You know about that. But here's how you deal with it. You show mercy. And my prayer, above everything else, in my own life, is Lord, help me to show mercy. Mercy even as the truth is proclaimed. Let them see your grace in my showing of mercy for your name's sake. Let's pray. And Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. And Father, we Thank you that you, your Holy Spirit will soften our hearts to show mercy as we pray in the Spirit, as we, as we keep ourselves in your love, as we build, are built up in this most holy faith that you've given us. Father, do your work in our life. I pray for those who don't know you this morning, that your Holy Spirit would move in their life and open their eyes and their heart to believe in Christ and Lord, you draw them to yourself. Pray for others that are dealing with issues where they're sitting, Lord, many of them hurting. And, and maybe we don't even know about them, but Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will, will encourage them. Lord, I pray that we would forever keep our focus on you and on your truth. Fathers, we sing this great hymn before the throne of God above. We have a strong and a perfect plea. And that is Christ. Lord, teach us that truth. Help us walk in it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.